0: Thanks very much, Larry. Ladies and gentlemen, as you can see, some of the greatest names in the sport of professional wrestling gathered right here at the historic Hermitage Hotel in Nashville, Tennessee. Allow me to introduce them, if I may. Vern Gagne the promoter of the Chicago show, Super Clash 3 is with us. To Mr. Gagne's left, Jerry Jarrett, the promoter of CWA. Next to Jerry is the AWA heavyweight champion of the world, Jerry the King Lawler. Right in front of me, from powerful women of wrestling, Mr. David McClain. Right across from David McLean, Frank Dusick, the matchmaker of world-class championship wrestling. Next to Frank is the champion of world-class championship wrestling. Kerry Von Erich. Next to Kerry, we have John Corcoran, the promoter of the Northeast United States. Next to Mr. Corcoran, the president of the AWA, Stanley Blackburn. And next to Mr. Blackburn, from the firm of Ryan and Ryan, Bob Ryan. He is the legal counsel of Super Clash 3. Let me move down to the end of the table now. And Vern, if we can get a little information from you as the promoter of this spectacular event. Well, I am proud and happy to announce the event will be December 13th uh, in the Windy City of Chicago and I think it'll be one of the great historic events for professional wrestling uh, that's ever been held. For those who do not know, the biggest wrestling spectacular, names from all over the country, former champions, I've never seen anything like it. Eddie Graham, Florida Promotion, Vern Gagnon, Superstar Billy Graham, Road Warriors, Mid South Coliseum in Memphis, Tennessee, Bill Watts, Jerry Jarrett, Dory Funk, Harley Race, uh, Nick Bockwinkles.
1: This is Cigars in Conversation with Derek St. Holmes, Esquire. Hello and welcome to Cigars and Conversations, brought to you exclusively at OneGimmickWorld.com. I am your co-host, Jay Gilke, and I am not sitting here with Derek St. Holmes, who is a true raconteur in the world of professional wrestling. He is a man who has shared the ring with a who's who of talent that ranges from Adam Pierce all the way to Shockwave the Robot, a wrestler, manager, commentator, and a trainer who's contributed essays to wrestling publications and is currently recovering from wounds that he received while working a hardcore match. With 20 years of experience, he is a true Renaissance man with unlimited knowledge. And like I said, he is not here right now. I am cutting the new opening for this show because we needed to break it into two. But I am talking about the one, the only, the incomparable Derek St. Holmes Esquire. We are going to join our talk of Super Clash 3 in progress as we speak. Enjoy. Uh, so now we get into a real juicy one. Yeah. This match to me, this is great to watch. Uh
2: huh. Um,
1: <laughs> I just I'm start laughing. It's the AWA International TV Title match with Ron Garvin versus Greg Gagne. I like this match. I do too. Um, it's so Gagne had the belt. He had the TV title, which was created just for him by his father. Correct. Sure. You see, Yeah, which, you know, and he had had it for about a year or so uh, before that and uh, ended up losing it to Garvin yep. at some point. Uh, and as the one review said, and I thought this was great, about 17 referees and a bazooka were required to take the title off of Ganya. Yeah. So, yeah. And, yeah, so uh, it was
2: actually held up coming into this Right, match.
1: yeah. So Stanley Blackburn had taken the, uh, reversed the decision, and the belt was held up. And this was supposed to be the blow-off to the feud. And this is the one where I think I really noticed what, that... I, was Ganya just frustrated? Do, what, do you think... I'm going to get into the psychology of what was going on inside Greg's head before this match even started. Because it almost like he came out of there hot out of the gates. Uh, did he know the show was flopping? Did he? Do you think he, he was feeling the weight? I'm sure... And then he comes out for this match because I felt, I mean, with the the aftermath, which we'll get to, is very uncharacteristic of him. Um, But do you think it was like, was it the building frustration throughout the match with
2: the crowd reaction to him? Or what do you think it was? So you're saying the crowd didn't like him? Uh, the crowd hated it. Now, remember, this is a crowd of semi-smart fans in 88. Again, it's wrestling on a Wednesday night in Chicago right. in December. Right. So they know that Ganya is Vern's son. So yeah, they absolutely. all know he's going to win. The last name gave it away. But the the match isn't... It's not terrible. It, it's not terrible. Uh, there was a uh, funny when Stagger Lee like says, I was talking to Jerry Lawler about Ron Garvin, which I thought was kind of funny because... I don't know where they would have worked together regularly. Right. Like those two names that go there. John Garvin thinks he's the toughest man in the world. And another thing, I admire him for it. (laughs) Which I thought was a strange quote because I thought it was going to go more, Garvin thinks he's the toughest man in the world. And to be honest, he might be right. Right. You know, like I thought that's where the quote was going to go. Right. Uh, But it almost
1: neuters him in a way.
2: You tell him that.
1: No, but I'm saying, but but again, like, is that? I don't again, not knowing how much of that is scripted uh, stuff that Vern has had an eye on. It's like Vern's not going to want to give this guy the toughest man in the world thing. So just oh,
2: right, no, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a promotional deal. It was just the general comments in the no, I know, but I'm just saying putting over how tough Ron Garvin is because Ron, uh, you know. We don't have to go into this here, but he was a very, very stiff competitor. He he'd like to be hit. Yeah. Um. Some weird stories. He people accused him of hitting people hard, and he said, "Oh Jesus, I didn't. I'm touching you compared to Johnny Valentine." said something along the lines of, he would hit you in the ring and you could hear it on the out on the sidewalk outside the arena. <laughs> That's awesome. So I thought that was funny. Yeah. Uh, I asked Shane Douglas one time about working with Ron Garvin, and his eyes just got big, and he just went, oh, geez, let me tell you about that. But he was one of those guys where he would hit you as hard as he could, but you had to hit him as hard as he could. Okay. And Jake the Snake Roberts tells a weird little story about when – uh, Garvin was getting ready to make his comeback in the series of matches they had. You could always tell when he was psyching himself up because his nipples would get really hard and then suddenly he would just bash India. I feel like that's weird. I, f- I but. would
1: know, but I feel like I can say that I might have at some point in my wrestling watching days have said, like, are his nipples hard? Yeah, okay, fair it enough. It seems like it seems something uh also now we're gonna watch that
2: yes also very known as incredibly cheap incredibly frugal and a severe case of road rage when he would drive oh really like would pass semis on the wrong side just to get around him and stuff like that did i
1: text you the ron garvin picture this weekend
2: yes and i want to get into that in a second um like people went for a ride in his car, and he had like a, a Pinto, and he's like, and it, you know, it's got hundred and sixty thousand miles on it, and still has the original tires. And it's like, Jesus oh, jeez, this is the car you want to be in. Yeah, you know? right. Uh, there's three places to sleep in every hotel room. There's the chair, the mattress, and the box spray. Oh, jeez, like, yeah. You know, just okay. Th- that's fine. Um, but one of these incredible characters, I would love to see a really good. Biography or autobiography on Ronnie Garvin because he's been around forever and there's testimony from him in like some of the Jim Barnett trials and the the Monopoly trials. So like he's been on the outs with the NWA before and come back in and stuff like that. Uh, From what I understand, professional pilot now, like flies a cargo plane, loves it because he can hunt and fish. There's a huge, uh, there's an interview with him by that Hannibal guy on YouTube. Yeah. You know, which is worth it if you like Ronnie Garvin. Right. Um, the picture you sent me was when he got the payday for turning on Dusty Rhodes right. um, at the, was it Starcade?
1: Yes. Uh, That's going to become my go to picture of success. Oh, by nice. The way.
2: But shortly after that, uh, when he did his turn, did that spot, then found out that the booking for that whole angle was Dusty Rhodes was going to beat like all of Gary Hart's stable in a single match. That's when Ron Garvin said, I'm not doing that and walked out. Right. Yeah. Wow. I remember hearing that story. So, like, you saw him in the AWA. You saw him in Puerto Rico, but he was at the, you know, the end of a long career. Well, he did of a time. little
1: bit that little stint in the WWF after the right.
2: after the AWA run. Right. Um,
1: because in fact, where that, he was rugged. Right. <laughs> exactly. And uh, this match, we'll kind of get back to it here. Uh, it's your typical stuff. Gagne's working the body part. Then you end up uh, Garvin ends up taking uh, like the wins like the fisticuffs if you will right Um, that kind of stuff they end up uh, going to the outside of the ring they both tumble outside the ring oh before
2: we get to that in Ganya's comeback he does the double judo chop yes which which I Uh, like because it's very old school but if you got hit with one of those in real life would scramble your shit. shit yeah yeah just boom.
1: So they uh, they both uh, get. uh, Garvin has
2: good facials with the buggy eyes. Yeah, I agree with that too.
1: Like he had a good like he just kind of looked like a man
2: possessed almost. And uh, they screwed up the over the top rope rope, spot. Yes, yes,
1: Yes. which then leads to the Ganya victory by getting the count out. Yes, which then the crowd boos the shit out of them.
2: Well, they're sh- they're booing that finish because it's a count-out, but Ganya still gets yeah, the title. And Connie-
1: yeah, and gets the title on a count-out. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, it is horseshit. Which has
2: been done before. That's how uh, Buddy Rose and Doug Summers won the title off of Scott Hall and Kurt Henning. Right. That, that was a count-out. But something like that needs to be announced ahead of time. You can't do it the deus ex machina or whatever. Oh, this match was like this. It's like, no, now we've built an expectation, and now you're changing the rules too late into the game. So they're going to shit on that. So they shit on that finish, but they're also going to shit on it because it's Greg Gagne. Like, oh, your daddy let you win the, the belt. Right.
1: And then that leads to Greg Gagne cutting the heel promo of a lifetime.
2: Yeah, talking about he's uh, from Minnesota. And he says this, these,
1: something like, these Chicago fans, a lot of people here cheering for Ron Garvin. Uh, but uh, he says something about them liking the Chicago Bears. He says, but I'm from Minnesota, and this Viking just whooped up on this bear. So yeah, he yeah. makes some reference to that. And the crowd, again, just shitting all over him. Yes. Uh, and then, uh, funny enough, this did come out on a VHS tape. And any subsequent showing of this, that promo was axed out. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Yeah, which I mean makes sense. And uh, I wonder how. Wait Bernie, a minute,
2: how did this show up on a VHS tape?
1: It, it there was there was on a VHS or or maybe it was a another broadcast or something. Yeah, that it was yeah. Completely nixed out. Fair enough. And uh, yes, so that that was kind of crazy. Which leads us now to Derek's favorite. Um, which is it? the match on the show, which is the uh POW lingerie street fight battle royal. Okay. Which hold on, before we even get into this, can I say between every match, which what well, we haven't mentioned, they talk about the Street Fight lingerie battle royal between every single match. Like they are yep. this is the thing that they are hyping up. This yeah. is it. Like this is the one. Um take it away, because you love it.
2: Well, I'm not I'm just saying that it starts out as a shit show, but slowly comes together by the end. I feel it just I explain. Feel it comes explain together.
1: yourself, because I just thought it was one giant
2: shit show. Okay. Well, first you've got Larry Nelson cutting cutting the promo with Brandy May, who talks about how the terrorists ripped her tights. Yes. And little Pocahontas, and 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 Larry Nelson is just bugging his eyes out over everything <laughs> here. That is
1: that Larry Nelson is great with any of this stuff. He's he's fantastic.
2: Uh, they announced the match to "Girls Just Want to Have Fun" by Cyndi Lauper because, of course, that's what every girl needs, especially on a show where Wendy Richter is is a featured featured contender. Right. Uh, Gary Michael Capetta as the ring announcer, who was good at his job but just a, kind of an annoying voice after a while. Uh, also did a very good book. Uh, McLean. He hands off to McLean, who does the announcements. Who brings in uh, Lori Lynn, Luna, Peggy Lee Leather, the Syrian terrorist who cuts a promo. (laughs) Yeah, it's really good. uh, Malibu, Bambi, Pocahontas, Brandy May, and Nina, the POW champion. Yes. So the rules of this match are you either get thrown over the top rope or get all of your clothes ripped off down to your lingerie. Pretty good stuff, right,
1: Kyle? Yeah. And you're not going to see that at the Star Wars celebration.
2: Uh, not yet, at least. Uh, so the match starts and there's a lot of silliness going on. And yes. it's funny watching the work, the ladies that are in there. The workers are kind of rolling their eyes at everybody else. And you just wonder what the story is. So a lot of dreck gets gets weeded out of the match. But again, I still think it comes together at the end uh, when it comes down to the terrorist and Brandy May. Who are wrestling and trying to tear each other's clothes off? You can see the visibly laughing at one point, which kind of takes you yes, out of it. Yes. Yes. But then Brandy May goes over the top. The terrorist cuts a promo with Staggerly Marshall. I, I again, I think it comes together at the end.
1: It felt like they said to the women, "Look, you're not strong." This isn't me. Then this isn't me talking. This is them. Right. Right. Ladies, a lot of you aren't that strong. Um. You're not going to be able to flip your, your... I don't want you to hurt anybody. And you're going to try to flip somebody over the top rope. If you feel like you can't do it, let's just figure out who can get their clothes ripped off and get eliminated from the match. Right. Like, that's what it totally felt
2: like. Which is me. probably exactly what happened. Yeah,
1: right. I also enjoyed the, the use of the word jamming. Did you notice
2: that by and chance? Mitch Snow wasn't on this one.
1: No, but <laughs> but McLean, Dave McClain, any chance he gets... He always talks about the women like they're. J- he says they're jamming. Sure. He's, she's jamming her over the top. Co- she's jamming it down. Here she comes off the ropes jamming another move in. He says it uh, a lot. It's great. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. No, it's pretty great. The crowd starts chanting, <laughs> yeah, to take it that's off. A, that's as what you- I've heard. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, yeah,
2: of course, you've got the women in there, and that's what they're going to do. So, I mean, it, it was maybe ahead of its time with the bra and panty matches that have come right. out and everything like that. But it was also presented in a way that was just slightly sleazier. It it just you could tell it was kind of, it was a part of the show, but it was kind of its own little deal. Maybe it's my love of terrorists, but I thought
1: that the Syrian terrorist
2: was the best-looking girl in the mix. Sure, I just like the fact that Peggy Lee Leather I was really in a match like where she could have potentially had her clothes ripped off because I don't think anybody wants to see that. Yeah, yeah, that would yeah. There was well, some, except for Bambi.
1: There were some there were some rough story. ones in there. Um but I yeah, I always I liked the Syrian terrorist gimmick. I thought that was good.
2: Um yeah. Again, like, I thought it I I I liked it. I thought it came together.
1: <laughs> Very good. Well I'm yeah, not he, I
2: mean I'm not saying it's a barn burner, but right.
1: yeah, whatever. Would you rather watch this battle royal or the WrestleMania two battle royal
2: with the football players? Wow, that's a hard question. Probably this one. Yeah. Because there's boobs.
1: I don't think I've seen the WrestleMania two one in quite a while. I'll have to revisit that and see if it was. I'm good sure it was. it's
2: stellar. Yes.
1: Uh, speaking of stellar, that leads us to our. I next. remember
2: there's a good shot of Bruno Sammartino's taint when he gets thrown out.
1: <laughs> Sorry, weird. but
2: that's. And silence sweeps the room. <laughs> well, and you're gonna watch it, and you're gonna go,
1: "Oh, there that's it is!" What he there's was talking taint. about. He but, taint lying about it. <laughs> uh, Thank <there> you. <laughs> Here all week. Uh. Boot camp match. One of the thousands ah, upon ah, thousands ah, of boot camp matches so with Sergeant Slaughter and I've Colonel I've seen De Beers. this
2: on the YouTube. For this match, you're taking a. For the kids that don't know, they used to sell singles that were 45 RPMs. Yes, you know, because that's 45 revolutions permitted on a turntable. Uh, I want you to click your record players down to 33 RPMs for the <laughs> long play records Real and slow, play your record. Down. Because that's what we have here. You've got Sarge, who's packing a little extra weight. Yeah. Doing the same gimmick with Colonel De Beers. Um, there is a surprise at the end of the match, though.
1: But can I just say something about Colonel De Beers? Sure. That I really
2: think is interesting. Sure.
1: So I would love to know, and maybe you know this, Like, was was it because of like the um, we're not going to play Sun City whole thing going on at the time? that he became like that South African white supremacist gimmick. Like what was going on in the world? Is that what it was? That's exactly it. Like the apartheid?
2: Yeah, you thought this was a menacing new character that they were Did he
1: ever switch off of that after he did? Did he ever decrease the, or did he ever like tone down that gimmick as he went on
2: afterward? Did it lose luster? Did he just become like a colonel or was he always? He was always just a heel. Yeah. And did the mustache. Carmine brought him in one time. Yeah. He still had the mustache and still did the thing. That's, uh, um, but, you know, didn't, didn't, you know, say the N word. He was just, he was just a heel character. Right, right.
1: And he, he kind of hinted at the, yeah,
2: the white supremacist thing. Um, his man, like they'd ask him, are you, are you a member of the De Beers family for the diamond mines? And you said, a gentleman does not call himself a De Beers unless he is a De Beers. It's okay. great. No, yeah. I hate. That's that's all you need to know. His manager was DDP. Of course. Uh
1: match ends with the Cobra Clutch submission 5 minutes in and then you said There's the, a
2: surprise. What's the surprise? Well, you know Sergeant Slaughter, he's like the bastion of America and all that's good in the American country, right? Yes. The dirty evil Iron Sheik runs in out of nowhere and the two of them beat up on Sergeant Slaughter. Yes. Headbutts with the helmet. This is just very interesting because the Iron Sheik is not booked elsewhere on the show. Right, just he's just there and that's it. Uh, he's there and was wearing his boots. Right. So did he show up that way? I hope. Yeah. You know. So that that was interesting. He's of that. Oh. <laughs> but I mean, looking at this, they're looking at the, hey, this was a great match in New York five years ago. Let's do it again. Right. You know? But He's
1: of the uh, Don Kernodal school of wear your gear yeah, on the big show, even though you're not on the card kind of thing.
2: Uh, I've been forced to do that. You know, I, I attribute that more sometimes to the the bookers and the people in charge not telling you what's needed before you show up at the building. Yeah. Hey, we need you to do all this stuff. It's like, I didn't bring any clothes for that. <laughs> right. I'll just wear my gear and a T-shirt. And it works. Sure. And it's over. Hey, uh,
1: speaking of being over... Uh, let's talk a little about. We are
2: far from over. From Frank Stallone, <laughs> yes, whose song was not played on this pay per view.
1: It was not, but
2: uh, no, um, we have seen no Western boots so far. Yes, nothing. But we did see the Iranian boots. We saw the, the curly Iron boot, yes, and
1: that uh, that makes up for a lot there. They did the uh, Bill after presents Jerry Lawler with the Inspirational Wrestler of the Year award from PWI. Yep, uh,
2: obviously from his voting in Memphis this, as right. opposed to anywhere else. Right.
1: And then that leads us to um, the world-class tag team titles, which is the SST, the Simone Swat team, versus Michael Hayes and Steve Cox.
2: Steve Do-It-To-It Cox.
1: Probably the worst. Yes. Nick Do-It-To-It. Right, Kyle?
2: I mean, I remember when Do-It-To-It was like, in the lexicon. Right. You know, it's like, do it, do it. Yeah. And that like, is just is horrible.
1: And this is this is the big feud that's going on in world class at that point. And where title just keeps going back and forth between SST because Buddy Roberts is managing the SST at this yes, point. Yes,
2: and he was a former member of the Freebirds. Right. So he knows everything about Michael Hayes. So he's giving that information to the SST.
1: Here's a, a memory hazy from my childhood, and I wonder if you can clear this up for me. There was a, a man in a bathroom. There's a yes. <laughs> watching WCCW and Michael Hayes was doing this tour, and I think he had the Von Erichs come on stage with him at some concert stop, and they were like fake playing guitars um, or something. I believe Buddy Roberts hits Michael Hayes over the head with a real electric guitar and yes. breaks it. Yes, I remember seeing that as a kid and being like, "Holy shit!" Like, that looked extremely
2: painful. Uh, allegedly, he was playing My Heroes Have Always Been Cowboys. And that's when... And, yeah. And then they got... Okay, so I'd have to but look that, around that. Led that led to the breakup of the Freebirds because suddenly Buddy Roberts was like, what the hell? Why are you hanging around with them? And blah, 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 blah. Which is funny that I give him a southern twang because he's from Canada. Right. Well, you know. And moved to the Chicago area. Notable in this match because he's announced with the SST and all three gentlemen are wearing jägermeister t-shirts yes because that's what you drink in the south sea Islands. That's although I, I like to imagine they con some bartender to say hey if we wear these shirts can we drink for free and they <laughs> right. said sure so i'd love like, that yeah, go for it and he also does the uh buddy roberts does the lou albano thing of i'm managing an ethnic wrestler so i'm going to wear something ethnic to show i'm with them so right. he's got like the headband, headband on, and the necklace or yep. whatever it's yeah like, it's pretty ridiculous all right and he does have a wallet with a biker's chain
1: well that gets used later on in the match what? what oh my goodness you
2: do not know teasing anything at all this is why he never went anywhere sorry you just gotta work towards it <laughs>
1: Born in Hawaii, Harold Watanabe was an American professional wrestler who was able to invoke the natural hatred of a nation during World War II. Born in 1927 to a Japanese father and a Hawaiian mother, Watanabe served in the United States Marine Corps and was also a Judo instructor. Watanabe began wrestling in the late 1950s as P.Y. Chung. However, the Hawaiian native combined the names of former Prime Minister of Japan, Hideki Tojo, and former Japanese Marshal Admiral Isoruko Yamamoto, two names synonymous with the bombing of Pearl Harbor, and thus was created the moniker Tojo Yamamoto. Yamamoto's success as a heel wrestler and as part of a tag team, particularly in the southern United States, was due to the way he could play up to the audience's fears and anger toward Asians during a turbulent time in American history. Much like the Von Browers, who wore iron crosses and goose-stepped around the ring, Yamamoto used over-the-top heel tactics leveraged with the general distrust of the Japanese that many Americans had held onto even in the post-war time. According to Hulk Hogan, He hit me in the throat with his cheap shot. I fell through the ropes. Then on the floor, he grabbed a cigar out of a guy's mouth and dropped it in my boot. When the ref turned his back, He'd hit you in the throat, and then walk around for three minutes pointing to how smart he was. Half the people wanted to kill him, and even the people who liked him, wanted to kill him too. One of the best bad guys that I've ever saw was Tojo Yamamoto. And the reason that I say that is that Yamamoto could turn an audience with a look like almost nobody else I've ever worked with, recalled legendary announcer Lance Russell. He didn't do any more than just cut his eyes or drop eyebrows down. You know something like that he just was an absolute master at being able to get across what he had in mind and what he wanted to say about being a sneaky jap this is what he was portraying as he did all this he was one of the best before the start of his matches yamamoto would ask to give a statement to the crowd which of course booed and hissed and threw things at him but then in broken english he'd say i wish make apology very sorry my country bomb pearl harbor and then the crowd would quiet down and he would wipe away the tears from his eyes and he'd almost see a sympathy fall over the crowd and he'd continue and say it wrong thing to do i wish not happen and the audience would then begin to applaud yamamoto would continue yes i wish not happen because instead i wish they would bomb and then he would name the town that he was in at that night. Needless to say, the arena would erupt. He was affiliated with Nashville area promoter Nick Gulas for most of his career, and in Nashville he was promoted as the most hated wrestler of all time and the epitome of evil. Nick Gulas was notorious for supposedly underpaying his wrestlers, but Yamamoto and his trainee, Jackie Fargo, were notable exceptions. They were two of Gulas's best draws from the early 60s to the early 70s. But in addition to the money they generated, they were also reliable and loyal. Yamamoto showed his allegiance despite offers from other promotions, including an offer from his close friend and student, Jerry Jarrett, when he started promoting shows of his own. Gulas recognized Yamamoto's loyalty and paid him back with more than just a regular place on the card and more pay than almost any other wrestler Gulas had. He was entrusted with an incredible number of titles. His ability to draw heat, by purposely playing off of his Japanese stereotypes, and his reputation as a ring general who could be counted on to have a good match, regardless of the quality of his partner or opponent. As a result, he held an incredible number of championships in his career, seven six-man titles, and an astounding tally of 52 various tag team titles, usually with different partners. Which, truthfully, makes the feat even more remarkable when you think about it. While he enjoyed fantastic success as a tag team champion he saw less success as a singles wrestler he only held three singles titles but two of those runs were with the nwa mid-american heavyweight title the most prestigious title in his home territory his lack of singles titles suggests that yamamoto's value was in helping develop other wrestlers rookies or unpolished talent mid-carder type guys to guide their progress to the next level it could also be because of gulis's booking style where he preferred to have a strong babyface champion and felt that a heel world champion would not sell as many tickets. Tojo was more about selling facial expressions and the psychology that goes with the training, Jeff Jarrett explained. He was very, very adamant on just conveying emotion. He'd say, don't have stone face. He had all types of one-liners like that, basically, and that meant don't be a dead fish. And, you know, try to convey emotion when you're in the ring. He was a real stickler for that. Over time, Tojo Yamamoto became aware that his body was failing him, and his in-ring career would soon be coming to an end. He constantly wrestled the full schedule without taking days off, leading to injuries that never healed. The problem was compounded by complications from his weight, which eventually caused diabetes. All these factors had taken their toll on his body, but after enjoying so much success, he would struggle to accept his physical limitations, even up until the day he died. However, it was impossible for him to accept a life away from the sport he loved. Unlike many of his contemporaries, especially his fellow Asian wrestlers, Tojo stuck to wrestling and never tried to appear in any films or television shows or anything of the like. Yamamoto was able to stay in the wrestling business and later became a very successful and very hated manager as well. His rise to fame late in his career took place in the late 1980s when Yamamoto, while in World Class Championship Wrestling, was managing Phil Hickerson, who at that time was known as P.Y. Chuhai. They were involved in a lengthy storyline with Eric Embry, involving the control of world-class promotion. Later, Yamamoto and Hickerson worked a storyline with Chris and Tony Adams, which began with an attack on Tony by Hickerson and Yamamoto during a wrestling match at the Sportatorium. Yamamoto and Hickerson left world-class in 1990, but Yamamoto returned to the Sportatorium in early 91 under the USWA banner, to manage Eric Embry, who had just recently turned heel. During this time, he managed many other wrestlers, including Dennis Knight, who later went on to play roles such as Phineas Godwin and Midian in the WWF. During and after his years as a manager, knowing that his in-ring career was long since over, Yamamoto continued to contribute to the wrestling business as a prolific trainer. The impact he had on the world of professional wrestling through his training is far-reaching and spans across generations and promotions. He trained dozens of wrestlers who in turn went on to train scores, perhaps hundreds of others. An example of one of these trainees who went on to teach future generations is Bobby Eaton. Eaton trained countless hopefuls at the WCW Power Plant, but he was also known for his informal coaching and countless help with the younger talent at WCW. Like Yamamoto, he was never considered a main eventer but both had a reputation and willingness to help their opponents look good in the ring and get better from just being in the ring with them. He passed his decades of wrestling knowledge down to many students, including several future world champions, such as Jeff Jarrett and Sid Vicious. He even had a hand in training Jeff Jarrett's father, Jerry Jarrett. Tojo's other students include the likes of the Moondogs, Spike and Spot, Jackie Fargo, the aforementioned Bobby Eaton, and of course, wildfire Tommy Rich. On February 19, 1992, Harold Wontanabe ended his life with a self-inflicted gunshot wound from a 25 caliber pistol. He was believed to be the age of 64 years old at the time of his death. He left a handwritten will and a note thanking his apartment manager for the kindness she had shown him while he was sick. Wontanabe's dying wish was to be cremated and his ashes spread over the Tennessee River because he drove over that body of water to and from wrestling matches for years and years. Wantanabe had also meticulously placed his possessions in boxes, with a name on each box prior to taking his own life. In fact, inside Jerry Jarrett's box were two pair of wooden shoes, several robes, and publicity pictures of the duo together. Hey, I got a great drinking game for you. What's that? Every time Lee Marshall says "do it to it" during that match, oh, Steve, take a, do a shot it to it, Cox. He, say, he says it. Steve a lot.
2: Cox was he, you know, right place, right time. He was a college athlete that got in on the tail end of the territory days. Had you know maybe a five year run, you know, but he was there and he was available. But the business was going down, right? So you know, good for him. The um. Uh, does a it looks like there's a horrible screw up in the match, but it sets up to him hitting the ropes and doing a no touch over the top yep. rope dive, yep. which was uh, very unusual at the time. Right, like Snuka had done that to Morocco, and it's like, oh my god, these guys are leaping over the rope like that was something you saw on right. TV and had no idea how to figure out. Plancha and now, wasn't in the yeah, and the now it's Lexicon just yet. well, but it was in Mexico, right? You know, so they would do it there, but it was just amazing to see that. I wonder if uh, Guerrero's told him,
1: why don't you do this out there? Ha-ha. Uh-huh. Put yourself over. Oh,
2: but one thing we skipped into the match We forgot in the beginning. One thing that I love to copy and I recommend for anybody trying to look cool or trying to look haughty is the, the rooster neck strut that Michael P.S. Hayes does in the ring intros where they just answer his name and it's like I tell people to watch Michael P.S. Hayes and I tell them to watch Mick Jagger for just the way you stand there and just bounce your head back yep. and forth. It just, it's cool. It is very cool. It, thats It's the master right there. And my girlfriend even points out when I showed her this, she's like, oh, I see that. And even Cox's knee at the bottom, like that's thats because Michael P.S. Hayes was the master. I never thought his moonwalk was that great though. It didn't have to be. Look that's at that true. chest hair. Yeah,
1: that's true. Uh, Rikishi was in this match. Yes, Just throwing that out there. Yep, Fatu, right? Yep. Some may say a svelte Rikishi in this man.
2: Uh, yeah. I also remember when the Tonga kid was relatively skinny. Yeah. And then wasn't he in the SST too? Mm, I thought so. Yeah. Yeah, but then when all of a sudden he comes back and he's not as thin, and you're like, what happened?
1: Yeah, was definitely. But that's that's that. That's that bloodline. Yep, that's that's the small ones. I mean, made it work for him.
2: Tonga kid's still alive, right?
1: I believe so. Yeah, good for him. Rikishi's still alive, right?
2: Yeah. I think so. I, yeah, I think so. Okay.
1: We just lost one of them today.
2: Yeah, uh, Rosie. Rosie. Um,
1: so uh, on that sad note, uh, there's a ref distraction, and that's where it allows Buddy Roberts to knock out Michael Hayes with his wallet.
2: Yes, he does He does the deal with the wallet, uh, which does come off a bit flat because it's so tiny. Now, it would have been better if had the camera caught him like going into his pocket and putting something into the wall. Like you right. could have got this spot over, but it was done very hurried. Um, even something like a spot that was explained to me by Tom Stone one time is that you hollow out a book and you have a foreign object in the book. But then you come out when the referee is checking your opponent in the far corner so his back's to you, and you trip, and you let the book fall open, and you let the object fall out of the book. Right. But then you pick it back up and put, the, put it in the book, and you close the book so the referee doesn't see it, but all the people have seen it. But then you put that on the ring apron, and then you never use it. That's. But the, you just go to it every time.
1: That's the Alfred Hitchcock. Yes. That's the MacGuffin.
2: Yes. So uh, I felt the finish would have gotten over better had they shown him putting something into his wallet Wallet. to make it, you know, like an iron bar or whatever. Right. Although if it's only a wallet, you know, what are you going to hit somebody with that size? Right. And they already did the roll of quarters the year previous. So you're not going to have a bunch of change scatter on the ground. Well, they needed that because nobody got their paydays.
1: (laughs) Right. Exactly. So there you have it. SST wins that match. They retain the title. Which leads us to the Indian strap match on the show. Yes. Um, Manny Fernandez and Wahoo McDaniel.
2: Yes. Uh, But before the match, we are introduced to Dragon Fujinami from New Japan, which is kind of interesting uh, because it's seemingly out of place on the show. Like, why are they introducing this guy until Manny Fernandez kind of gets in his face? Uh, I did some reading later and found that Fernandez was making the bulk of his money in New Japan. So this was...
1: Oh, the film stuff
2: they show over in New Japan. Exactly. So, I mean, it made sense that way but it just kind of... Of course, because he's Japanese, we have to we can't call him by his name, so we have to call him Dragon Fujinami. Right, come up with something, which I thought was slightly racist, but you know, whatever. Yeah, it's wrestling.
1: We just had the Syrian terrorist in Pocahontas. <sighs> I think we're gonna get well. We'll survive if we have to call him Dragon Fujinami. Dragon Fujinami. Uh, this is the strap match I hate. This is the four corner slap yep. strap match. Yep. Um, th-
2: th- th- and it's very very bloody.
1: <laughs> yes, and it makes no sense, and. I mean it's just it's so dumb. Because this is the How one How dumb is it? Huh, it's so dumb because Manny Fernandez taps three corners and then rather than going to the next one, like decides that's the time now to climb the rope. And yes. like he's gonna come off and then Wahoo
2: pulls he him had down. To tap three times on the ceiling if uh, you know what I mean. Yes. So twice on again the just a horrible match. If the answer is no. I like the I
1: like the one we talked about before the black bart. Strap yes match. yeah we get was good.
2: beaten by a pinfall
1: right and i i always like the idea of like the strap getting wrapped around like hog tying a guy uh-huh. to then that's like the strap causes the victory right in the match right. so this is that stupid slap the corners match
2: but uh this match is very bloody and violent but it serves a purpose because this causes the people running the show to take a look at this and say hey this this was really violent this isn't a sporting event you know we better we better keep an eye on things here right
1: so we're kind of made aware subtly we
2: made of- aware that wait a minute there there are borders here yeah the the, uh,
1: the, bo- the chicago athletic commission right is now watching these matches closely intently right with because a, they're really you with know, a hard eye right and rather than let it be a, a slow simmer and build and just plant that seed and let it grow they decide to go right into the unification match for the AWA world champion
2: uh, Jerry Lawler and the WCCW world champion Kerry Von Erich all right I do like the build-up to this match because Kerry Von Erich apparently had help with his script or coming up with something And keeps saying that there's only one Mona Lisa. There's only one Leaning Tower of Pizza. There should only be one. (laughs) one.
1: Yes, Leaning Tower of
2: Pizza, not pizza. Uh, He was pilled up. Give him a break. Does he say pizza? I don't know. But he, he hits this point in his promo several times. I do like when he brings his young daughter out. Yes. And, you know, holds her in front of I thought for years that was Lacey. It turns out it was Holly. So I oh, thought okay. that, like, that was yeah. their, like her first pay-per-view. So that was really good. Um so there's a big buildup to this match, and I was excited because I did, you know, I wanted to see a unified world champion so I could know who was the toughest. Right. You know,
1: what, and this yeah. is kind of the closest we've ever really come to like a true uh, uh, sure. Right.
2: Sure. <laughs> right. Sure. No, exactly. Right. Yeah.
1: Just my wrestling fan. Okay.
2: Oh, me. yeah, I know. I don't I don't need to be a, a curmudgeon about the whole thing. But yeah, you always wanted to see that unification and see what would happen. But it was never
1: going to happen. Well, because you feel the, there should be finality in that. Like, if it's a unification, a unification needs to happen. Right, right. So,
2: but so you know, and after so many years, we've seen, uh, you know, every match is a double count out or a double disqualification, a right. Sixty minute draw. It's like nobody's going to win this match. Right. Man, <laughs> it just happened. But I was exciting because it was happening here. Right. And they had, they had issued challenges to everybody, but nobody answered. So this is all this is all they had to. This set is up. all this is all you could do. So it's all down, it's all down to money, marbles and chalk. They're in the ring. Carry uh, von Erich, you know, both men are announced. Carry von Erich is looking under his robe at his arm for some reason and showing it to Frank Dusik in the ring. Find right. out later, he takes his robe off. He's got a huge gash on the inside of his arm.: Yes. Do you want to share the story of what happens here?
1: <laughs> well, this is my one of my favorite things that happened, I guess, and that before the match even started, uh um, oh, I'm forgetting the exact who was it. Just they were just going through the match or they were talking about stuff beforehand. And Kerry Von Eric had taped up his finger. What? Well, you, you're a you're you're a man in the business. Yeah, I know. You I know. Talk Tell Talk a little bit about
2: that. Uh, Well, we'll get into the finish of the match later. But let's just say just in case Lawler got cute. Uh, Kerry Von Erich had uh, taped a blade to his finger. Cut right. on a blade taped to his finger. Uh, they were going over the match... You know, it's like, hey, we want you to do it this way. We want you to do it that way, blah, blah. Carrie Van Eric is listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just his hair. Oh, he's got an itch on his arm. Goes up to scratch his arm. Forgets he has the blade on his finger and slices open the inside of his body. Right. Like
1: he's just scratching, like he had an itch on his arm. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes yeah. in to scratch it. So
2: it wasn't something he went to do. It was just like, boom. Now, this is interesting to me because usually. When you wear a blade on your finger like that, you put a you put a cap on it.
1: Yeah, you put some kind of tape over it. Yeah, right?
2: yeah, so that you know it doesn't catch the lights or whatever. But who knows if he was missing a cap or it went through or whatever. He sliced his arm open, but it was like minutes before this match was going to start, so there was no way they were able to stop the bleeding and get it bandaged up before he went out there. So as soon as they lock up, Jerry Lawler knows about this, takes him over, puts him into the ring post, boom. Now the ring announcers can say, "Oh, he cut his arm open on the ring, ring post. post." Right.
1: Even though you can clearly see him as they're getting announced, and he's talking to Dusick. Yeah. You can you can see him holding his arm up, and uh,
2: you see a little bit of blood there already. Yeah. Well, he's Kerry was kind of goofy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, to say the least. So it was really uh, when you look at it now, knowing that stuff, it's really obvious. Right. But when I remember watching a long time ago, not.
2: really. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah. Not. Didn't even remember to. that part of it. Um, but they do now. Lawler and Von Erich had wrestled each other hundreds of times by this point. Yes, because they'd gone around, they'd done the deal in Texas where they were going weekly, and Kerry had gone to Memphis, and Lawler had gone to Dallas, and they, you know, several matches. So like they did the Lawler hides the foreign object match. N- Hundreds of times before tonight, so like they, they knew each other and they knew their spots, and you can see it on some of the zing, 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 boom that uh, Von Eric puts on Lawler that they they right. had their they had their spots down, so they were just going on autopilot, at right, that
1: just point. doing going through the
2: motions on that. Uh, Jerry Lawler, of course, phenomenal. Yeah, I mean he's just it, an incredible worker. Carry Von Eric, lot you know, a lot of charisma, able to be carried, you know, especially at the time you wanted to be him. Right, you know, so it was cool. Um, a big blade job too, not just on the arm by von
1: Erich.
2: uh, yes, Lawler goes into his tights for the non-existent foreign object and hits hits von Eric. Uh, von Eric does get incredible color. Yeah, just just dig. So who knows? Uh, I've heard both aspirin and beer. Who know? Who knows what von Eric? You know. But it's a who knows how he prepped for that match. Yeah, it's an incredible mess, and there's pools, right? You know, pools of pools of blood on the mat. Um, Von Erich then gets Lawler in the claw hold. Yes, of course. Referee Marty Miller, longtime AWA referee, Mm -hmm. which I'm surprised Frank Duzik allowed. Yeah, you know, I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. If you want to protect your interests, you get a new, you know, get that neutral ref. Yeah, at least had Bronco Lubich on the outside (laughs) keeping it honest or whatever. Trying um, not to tip over. So uh, they have their match. It's a standard match. Von Erich gets color and gushes gushes horribly.
1: I mean, it's all over Lawler. When he's got the claw on yes. Lawler, it's like raining on him. And
2: you can see Marty Miller checking into his head to make sure he's okay. And you see Frank Duzik waving it off. No, he's fine. He's blood more than that, shaven, and blah, 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 blah. Right. You know, so they're teasing it. And then finally. Uh, Von Erich gets Lawler on his back in the claw. The referee finally goes down and starts waving it off. The people think Von Erich has won, but no. He's decided to stop the match due to Von Erich's excessive bleeding. Now, we set this up earlier saying, hey, we don't want to see another bloodbath like this. Well, sure enough, here we are. So in interest of the safety of the competitors, uh, he's going to call the match. Right. So, of course... People were surprised by this finish as well, thinking it was typical favoritism and everything like that. Lawler then gets on the mic and cuts a great, hey, I'm glad they stopped that match, because if you didn't, I would have blinded Kerry Von Era, Right. which I thought was just great. a great line yeah, for to, sure. to throw in there and get over the whole thing. Of course, Duzik complained, saying it was a local ref, saying it shouldn't have been done that way. Uh, I remember them going on TV later saying, you know, hey, we're sorry this is what happened, but we really have to think of the safety of our competitors and quality of life down the road. You know, is a title belt worth losing an eye? Right.
1: You know, right. Stuff that makes you think. Yeah. The crowd shits on this one, too. Yeah, they shit on everything. Yeah, that's true. Again, Wednesday, a cold Wednesday night in uh, Chicago, Illinois. In the Windy City. Uh, And uh, <laughs> by normal logic, we'd say, hey, that's it. And uh, thank you very much. And that's the main event of the night. We'll Uh see you later. And uh, have a good show. We'll see you next week. But wait, what's this? There's a tag team match still for the main event. Uh, Robert Fuller and Jimmy Golden, Stud Stable, against the Rock and Roll Express. Why in the hell is this match after the heavyweight title match?
2: Well, one, I don't think this is the main event. Obviously, the the title match was the main event. I just see this match. uh, It is a very Southern thing or like they did this in the WWF on Madison Square Garden shows at the end where they would just throw a match out there to either set the send the people home happy or you know just to fill time to to fill whatever air they had did so you- I don't think this match was ever meant this was not meant to close the show like a main event this was meant to just get some more people out there. I also believe it's because it's a tag team match, I think that was a very southern thing. You couldn't put a tag team match on before a singles match because in their minds the people wouldn't the people's attention wouldn't go from four people to two people. Gotcha.
1: Right. Now i was going to say I thought that's what I remember you telling me about.
2: Yeah, that but it's well. just it's a southern thing. Yeah.
1: And it's uh, there's it's a nothing forgettable nothing match that actually ends a pay-per-view In a double countout.
2: Yep. It's just the thing. Go out there. We still got more broadcast time. They go out, take a seven minute tag
1: match, seven seven minute tag match that ends in a double countout. And then you have Ganya, Stagger Lee. Just everybody is singing the praises of this pay per view and how great this is. And it was an amazing night. And your last two matches ended in like
2: non finishes. Non
1: finishes. And it's just ridiculous. And uh, they are trying their best to just be like, this is the, you know, this is a, a high water mark in the
2: world. Of well, to be wrestling. fair, they're not going to walk out there and say, hey, oh, we, we really t- we really took a shit here tonight. No, yeah. no,
1: absolutely not. But I mean, but it's just like they could have just been like, thanks for coming.
2: But that's not that's not the showmanship. I know. Yeah. I know.
1: But it's they 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 could have shaved off two minutes at the end there of them bragging about how awesome the show was and just been like, see you later.
2: They could have, but... But uh, they didn't. But they didn't.
1: And that's for our betterment now because now we get to watch it and just revel in the craptacular nature of it all. Yes. Which is good. So uh, closing thoughts on the pay-per-view?
2: Uh, I just, I remember liking it like when I was able to see bits and pieces of it because I was, you know, it was like, oh, all the... Right. all it the was inter- something. Yeah, it was something. It had a lot of hype behind it. I followed it through the magazine. So I was very happy and, like, wondered. You know, at that point, I still hadn't figured out how the wrestling business worked. So I was just wondering, wow, this is the AWA. What's going to happen? And then all of a sudden, it just. Big turd happened. Yeah, it just started petering out and then it was gone. Speaking of a big turd, uh, Super Clash 4 happens. uh,
1: That ends up, I believe, untelevised, unrecorded. Uh, not available anywhere. With a lot of names of people, I had no idea who it was. Yep. And that's and that's the legacy of AWA and Super Clash and Super Clash. Yes. Well, so-
2: again, they were they were getting into the game very late. They had no idea what the game was. They had no idea what they had their hands on. Right. Uh, you still saw the the shoddy cameras that they shot their television with. I mean, it wasn't. They did not update their game because they never thought they had to. Right. Like, they still had cameras with tubes in them right exactly
1: well very good well Derek this was fun Uh, two-parter on Super Clash 3 Uh, we will be back soon enough with some more uh, scintillating topics in the world of professional wrestling like the NWA World Tag Titles I think like the NWA World Tag Titles yes Uh, yes take two anyhow Uh, so without any further ado this is Cigars and Conversations with Derek St. Holmes Esquire I am your co-host Jay Gilke, and we will see you very soon we